0: Hello and welcome. You are listening to the Racing with Robin Roller podcast. We are coming at you live for us, but pre-recorded for you, uh, from the wonderful state of Indiana. It is October 22nd, 2019, and there was a lot of racing news and notes to discuss from this weekend. Uh, and I, I, I'm pretty sure Josh and I are, are happy not to have to talk about football this week because my beloved Seahawks took a pretty bad loss, and Josh's beloved Cowboys pretty much made, got made to look worse uh, after the uh, Patriots shut out the Jets, and even though they beat the, the Eagles, I, I don't know how that, that Patriots shut out of the Jets is going to make you guys look in the long run. But anyway,
1: believe It was interesting for sure.
0: Yeah, believe, <laughs> believe me, I'm I'm not one to criticize because we got beat by Lamar Jackson and the Ravens. So uh, Anyway, um, no, we're not talking about football today, and, and and that's why we're so glad. We're glad we're not talking about football today. Uh, because we're talking about racing, and racing, let's be honest, is more fun. It doesn't hurt you uh, like football does, unless you're a fan of drivers who perpetually finish mid-pack like I was the last couple of years. <laughs> uh, anyway, let's go ahead and jump into things, and uh, if this is your first time listening, you can find us on social media with our Twitter accounts. Josh's is at roller underscore uh, zero one. Mine is at rpeters33, that's r P-E-E-T-E-R-S-3-3 And the show, you could follow the show as well At Robin Roller, spelled just like it sounds uh, That's always great because we've got lots of previews we, you, could, you could play along with us, talk with us, interact with us uh, Find out news on the show Find out when new episodes get posted Which is every Tuesday afternoon um, And so yeah, let's go ahead and get started with some ARCA talk Because we've got a lot of Kansas stuff to talk about I mean, Kansas is a big, big state uh, Nice state Lots of lots of farmland. Don't don't drive I seventy on Kansas unless you want to be bored for bored to tears. Um, no offense to Kansas residents though. Uh, but uh, the Arkanmanard series happened uh, on Friday night. Uh, they ended their twenty nineteen season. Uh, Michael Self led the first fifty seven laps, but on lap fifty eight, Christian Eckes got the best of Self and took took the lead and drove his way to the championship. Uh, Christian Eckes had to start at the back because of a blown engine in qualifying, but within a few laps had reached the top 10. Uh, a lap 40 caution for Drew Dollar scrubbing the wall brought the leaders down pit road. Uh, Self retained the lead on pit exit and again on the restart, but a second caution was displayed on lap 53 when Tim Richmond spun. And we were talking about that earlier. Tim Richmond, this is not the same Tim Richmond that you're thinking of. the NASCAR driver who passed away uh, in 1987. eighty-seven. Nine. Nine eighty-nine. Eighty-nine. <laughs> sorry. Uh, sorry, eighty nine. Um, this is a new Tim Richmond who's run most of the ARCA season this this year. Uh, he isn't a tape car though, so of course you can imagine that. No, most people don't remember him. Uh, but uh, this restart uh, after Tim Richmond spun Christian Eggis pushed himself hard through the first two turns on lap fifty eight uh, before completing the pass in turn three. Self would make a last-minute charge with 12 laps to go when he found speed on the high-side wall, but ran out of time, and Eckes would win the race and the championship. It was Christian Eckes' fourth win in 19 starts. He had 13 top fives and 17 top tens on the season. Uh, Venturina Motorsports also won the owner's championship with their number nine Toyota, which was driven by Harrison Burton, Chandler Smith, Brandon Lynn, Ryan Snyder. Number 20. Number 20 Toyota, sorry, and uh, Logan Seavey in 2019. Uh, Since Christian Eggis wasn't able to win rookie of the year due to his overall driver's championship, Tommy Vi Jr. was credited with the rookie of the year award. Toyota was the manufacturer's champion as well in the ARCA series. So this was, so Josh, that was, that's pretty much the, the rundown of the ARCA, uh, race for that, for, for Friday, uh, Josh, we want to talk about a little bit about the Yarka race. You know, first of all, it was it was difficult for to find it on television. It was taped delayed late on FS1, but then it was also said that it was live on Mav TV, and then there was problems with the Mav TV feed apparently, uh, where there were there were issues there and uh you know, that's always lovely when you are trying to watch a race and there's problems, uh, especially a championship race. So, you know, a little bit frustrating to to not be able to watch the championship decider live because I know I was at work and uh, well, I if you were lucky
1: enough, you could have streamed it on nascar.com. Uh, that's how I watched it. They had it streamed live. Um, and the, I don't. Th- I think the feed was pretty pretty good. It felt long. If you were watch. if you were, I, like I was, I was streaming it on NASCAR.com. I don't have MAV TV. Um, you kind of got worried at some commercial breaks because it, under commercial, there wouldn't be any of your, like if you were like the NBC Sports app, you'd have a couple of the same three commercials over and over and over again. You just had a blank screen. We'll be back momentarily or something. I can't remember what it read now. Um, But for the most part, I actually think it came in and out right when the regular TV slash Fox feed would come in. Um, So that was good. I didn't have a problem with it. Uh, I was very, very fortunate that NASCAR did that, which to me, it it, it should have done that because, you know, they do own ARCA now. so uh, I didn't have a problem. I didn't see anyone who had problems, but I, I guess I didn't hear about the MAV TV problem. Um, I guess when you don't have a problem like I did, <laughs> I don't like have, you don't yeah. You you'll go looking to see if anyone else had issues. Um, but uh, yeah, it kind of stunk that MLB kind of took that away. Um, it would have been nice just to, I don't know. I, I don't know what was going on. It was a Friday night, so I don't know what was going on. I had to smack down on Fox, so you can't have put baseball there. But uh, it was just unfortunate that they couldn't have had it on some other channel live um, on the Fox family of networks. Um, well, you know, FS2 never gets used anymore. Well, I think it was supposed to be on FS2, right? Yeah. It, yeah. It, but it more, I was thinking more like, could you have stuck it on FX or FXX or something like that? I didn't I didn't know if there was a way they could have done that. Um, From
0: what I understand, they don't. Fox stopped using, when, when Fox launched FS1 and FS2 in 2013, they Stop using the, uh. Stop using FX as overflow. So FX is no longer like a sports overflow. They typically will use Fox Business Network because most of the programming for that is just paid programming. Like they air like shows during the day, but then like in prime time, there's like nothing airing. Yeah. So they'll air. They'll typically tend to use that because that apparently has a larger like reach than FS2. And I don't think Fox understands that like. You could fix all of these problems by increasing FS2's carriage.
1: Yeah, but
0: I don't, I don't understand. Like it's been 2013, and you know most people still don't have access to FS2. I, I don't understand what the purpose of the channel is if hardly anybody can even get it. Like I've, I've never had a problem because I've always had FS2, but I know that there's a lot of people who don't have FS2 that probably are just like, why, why are there uh, events aired on this channel that I can't watch? You yeah. Know? Especially motorsports programs like Formula E, Arca stuff like that gets pushed to FS2 and then completely ignored because most people don't even have it. So,
1: yeah, it, I don't know. it was kind of it was interesting there. At least it was taped to light the same day, and it wasn't pushed to some like weeknight where no one was going to care after that. So, uh and like yeah, I think you mentioned you were able to see the last little bit of the race when you got off work on Friday night. Mm-hmm. And, um, that was my job was watching that race. So, um. Third, oh, what a fun minute. job that must have been! Yeah, it, it wasn't the greatest race in the world. I'm not going to try to sugarcoat it. It was very much one sided with two drivers um, racing, and and I don't think if uh, that second caution came out, Eckes had a pretty strong car. But if Self was able to get out to a lead, it, it was it was it was going to be one thing to pass him on a restart, another thing to pass him on on the uh, under green flag conditions. Um, it's kind of like a like he like looked at like to me self was really trying to pin uh, excuse me Ekers was really trying to pin self down along the line and push him down and try to get him in a un uh preferred line uh through really the entire track until he got to turn 3 and and Ekis just drove away from there so um self was extremely disappointed after the race as you can imagine you know you 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 led the championship up until you know a couple of weeks ago and 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 now it's uh, all all gone, and he don't win the championship. And then you look back, he had a couple penalties that cost him seventy points. And even Eckes missed a race, so he missed about on a bunch of points there. Uh, it's definitely a year that Self might want to have back, but it's a growth year, and and hopefully he'll he'll be back next year, and uh, either racing with Venturini or uh, maybe even the Truck Series. Who knows?
0: Yeah, you know, I think Michael Self has got a good he he's a good driver. Like I don't want to say that the Arca Championship this season hasn't been entertaining
1: no it's been very entertaining compared to the past few years for sure i mean
0: i feel i feel like arca is this is obviously the end of an era for arca because this is really the end of arca being its own standalone thing you know where it didn't have any integration with any other series so it's it's kind of sad to see it end the way that it is but at the same time you know it's i looked at that race and i noticed okay we've got only 22 cars that that made the race i believe from what i could see here that uh we had two cars that didn't even show up and withdrew there so was we could a, have had yeah, 24 cars there was a
1: driver change the zero had a driver change and then thad Moffat in the 46 for john core um he withdrew from the race yeah so thad Moffat didn't didn't attempt which is kind of kind of
0: sad because i always like thad Moffat. i yeah. I mean it, it's, it's hard to do really well and Arca, if you're not Venturini Motorsports, but you know, I like them okay. Um, but yeah, you know, it, it's just interesting because it, it'll be interesting to see what happens with this Arca. And, and something we wanted to talk about too is, um, the Arca pole speed was 180.355 miles an hour. Uh, the cup pole speed, the NASCAR cup pole speed was 178.047. Um, so Arca was actually faster than the Cup series, except the Xfinity series was faster than both of those at 181.165 Christopher Bell's pole speed. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if that's a normal. If NASCAR wants that to happen anymore, like if they're gonna like cop, you know, cop the engines on on Arca now and and say nope, no, no more, no more, uh, going faster than our Cup guys. But it, it didn't seem like it mattered at all because I mean the racing was still. Meh. I mean, you look at that two cars in the Arcus series. Labs, yeah, I mean, two lead changes between
1: two drivers.
0: It's just kind of like eh, I, eh.
1: Was yeah, it worth it? Gonna, well, in the Arcus series, I think it's something I think we'll we'll address. You know, what the Arca, what NASCAR will look like in 2020. I think we'll address that on a later show this year. And we can get into that. I think though, you need to have a few more competitive cars in yeah. the Arcus series. Right now, you have. The three or four Venturini cars, and there's two other cars. I can uh, – let me get back onto Arcus, Arcus side here. Uh, well, yeah, the the 22 car for Chad Bryant, it's usually very competitive. Brett Holmes has been competitive, and Travis Brain has been competitive. So you have seven cars, and also one of the 54 car for DGR. But you have seven cars, seven eight cars a race that are really, really competitive. Um, I I, I just – uh, I'm not worried about the speeds for there. I think it's just, you got to remember the packages are completely different. You don't have, uh, you know, all three, three of these series that we'll talk about this, this weekend, they're, the packages are different. You're, you're going to have, and as a result, as packages, the engine packages, the arrow package, you're going to get different speeds. Um, the cup side, when I was watching practice, you're going to have a speed that is maintained really throughout the entire lap and where the Xfinity series would hit 185 miles an hour going into turn four, turn one, they're going down 167, letting off the gas brake and continuing on. So, that again, it, it depends on how your car's racing, how the pa- package is set up. It is something to look at. It has bothered people, but I think at the end of the day, are you looking at was it racing good? And that, that's my question was it racing good?
0: Yeah. And the answer was a resounding <laughs>
1: I think the Xfinity series, watching the Xfinity series race, seemed to be a little bit maybe the best race of the weekend. At oh, this track, I, at this
0: I, track, I, I I don't disagree with that. Um, yeah. I think we should we should probably start moving on, so we could talk yeah. about some of those better races. Um, and actually, we're gonna move on to real quick into our our featured paint scheme because that's that's a fun one. I think yeah. we're gonna have fun talking about this one because I always like you know me, you know how I am, you know how I am. I'm a big fan of the IRL early late '90s IRL. Um, don't know why, just how I was raised. Uh, that's just what I was raised on, I should say. I didn't really ever get a chance to watch CART, so I was always into IRL. Um, so when, when Josh comes up and says, yeah, our future pain scheme is going to be the 1999 IRL season, I'm like, oh, well, this is easy. I already know who I'm going to pick. You know, there's there's a lot of choices I wanted to highlight, a lot of drivers I wanted to highlight. But, you know, I obviously just picked the one and, and just went with it. because it, And it was an interesting season overall for the IRL uh, and, and and it's something that we can look back on. It was the last season where we ran um, four-liter V8 engines, uh, naturally aspirated, um, because the very next year the engine regulations changed, the exhaust changed, and that's when you kind of got uh, a little bit of high, a much higher pitch noise, the engine noises. So this was really the last season that you hear uh, all of the IRL cars sounding like stock cars, pretty much, which is interesting. Um, also uh last this was the last full season where the uh, original Delara and G-Force chassis were being used in 2000 G-Force would come out with an updated model and so would Delara uh as well as then you would see the introduction of the Riley and Scott chassis which uh ended up being taken to victory lane in 2000 by Buddy Lazier I believe at Phoenix but then being quickly abandoned like Right after that, like, I think a few guys tried to attempt to qualify in a, the, for the Indy 500 in the Riley and Scott chassis, and it was just woefully under, uh, underpowered, or it was just woefully too slow, so they ended up going to a G-Force or a Dallara because those were faster. Uh, so, you know, interesting, interesting turns of events here for the 1999 IRL season. Uh, they raced at Texas and Pikes Peak twice, which was wild. To me, think about Pikes Peak getting two dates on a schedule. You
1: know, I just you know want well, Pikes you know? Peak on someone's schedule today,
0: right? You want you want it to be on on someone's mm-hmm. schedule today, but back in 1999, the IRL was there twice, uh, which was interesting. So, and 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 of course, you know, just overall, I'm a big fan of the, the IRL from back then because it was it was wild. They raced it. They, they raced for the final time at Dover. They raced two races at Dover in 1999, ni- 1998, and 1999 um and if i recall correctly a lot of those races at dover you would see you could see uh i think it was lsa Salazar. i can't remember if it was 98 or 99 lsa Salazar was coming off a of turn two and his rear wing literally collapsed and i think i think at qualifying two they had the same thing happen uh to to one of the kelly cars either scott sharp or mark dismore i can't remember um where they ended up having the same problem in 99 where Uh, the rear wing would just collapse under the g-force and all uh, the pressure because of dover um you know dover is so high banked, and you're going so fast and so small you're like in a little can you're creating all of this pressure all this downforce all this g-force and it would just get become so overwhelming to the cars that it would literally cause the rear wing to collapse and you would crash almost immediately because you'd lose all your rear downforce um and it was so it was really interesting it was really interesting season. So, Josh, why don't you tell us a little bit about your featured paid scheme and what you picked for the nineteen ninety nine Indy Racing League season, the Pep Boys Indy Racing League season?
1: Yeah, um, I, go, I, I go with Tony Stewart's number twenty two Home Depot car. You know, I, <laughs> I and I don't, I, I don't know. It's weird. I, I feel weird picking it. He drove for Star. He only raced in the Indy five hundred that year. Um, started twenty fourth and finished ninth, but he was four laps down. Um, it had a, you know, I like to describe the car with a base. It was a white base and then it had the orange on the sides and the nose and, uh, rear wing and the sides and the nose kind of came to a point on the nose. If you're following me there, just Mm -hmm. look it up. You all can, uh, find it on the internet. There's a few pictures out there of it. Some people have even rendered it on the, um, DW, uh, 12, Indy car, which look, it, it looked really looked really good there for the iRacing folks. Yeah, if any of you uh, like to race the Indy car, who listen to this podcast on the I, uh, iRacing scene, um, but, but you know, I may have chose this because of the NASCAR connection. You know, it did remind me of that car. Uh, it made me think: um, what would this car look like if it was if he had a similar paint scheme on the uh, Pontiac Grand Prix he ran? for Joe Gibbs Racing a few years um hmm. uh and, and 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 that you know i've mean, my personal opinion that they're different paint schemes i think they're different paint schemes you know uh i they they were distinct um but you know he looked good no home depot uh, particularly after you know it was just weird you know after you learned the Tony Stewart history that he ran for drove for Menards and then he goes to run the home depot car and then he comes back to the IRL and runs a home depot paint scheme um so that was my pick. Um it was also his second to last IRL start too. Uh he would he would run the eighty five hundred in two thousand one, pulling do- uh pulling the uh the double that day, running the uh five hundred and uh, the Coke six hundred. So uh Rob, I, I I have to say, like you're about to say, um I'm not surprised by who you picked.
0: No, how can you be surprised by who I picked? I mean, look, you probably knew this. Was inevitable for me because you know you're looking at the number one Greg Ray fan, right? And I'll obviously pick Greg Ray because 1999 was Greg Ray's best season. I love to talk about him. I love to talk about all of his his history in the IRL, his you know his stories. And you brought it up, Tony Stewart, Josh. So I will bring up Greg Ray, and Greg Ray was actually Tony Stewart's replacement at Team Menard for 1999, um, which is interesting. So, and I'm I'm going to talk about the paint scheme a little bit uh but i'm also going to bring up a little bit some, some interesting facts coincidences uh I- ironic uh statistics that are just interesting um so greg ray would end up uh having a championship season in his bright yellow orange and red glidden menards Dilar, it was bright orange red uh bright or- bright yellow obviously and then it had uh, red side pods with the glidden sponsorship but it was you know sponsored by menards run by team menard number 2 um and so this is – it's quite interesting because Greg Ray started the season with three consecutive DNF finishes, not counting the canceled Visionaire 500K at Charlotte, which I believe he was running pretty well at. Um, but then Ray would immediately fi- – so like talking about Indianapolis, crashes out of Indianapolis, he finishes 21st at Indianapolis, finishes 21st Phoenix, fin- 21st Walt Disney World. Um, and then he would f- end up finishing second at Texas. And then the very next race at Pikes Peak, he ended up winning for his first career IRL win. And now, ironically, Tony Stewart's first IRL win also came at Pikes Peak in 1997 and to Tony Stewart's first IRL championship in the same exact car for the same exact team. So it seems like Team Menard has Pikes Peak figured out, basically. Yeah. Um, Ray would then crash at the next race at Atlanta, but he would win the next two races at Dover and Pikes Peak. Um, So this is the second Pikes Peak race. So Ray eventually effectively ended up sweeping the Pikes Peak rounds in 20 in in, in 1999, uh, and then he would crash at Las Vegas, but finish second at Texas to win himself the championship. So what's interesting about Greg Ray is all the races he finished, he either won or finished second. But every other race, he if he didn't finish, he crashed, and he crashed a pretty substan- a pretty amazing um, milestone. However because the i r l had such a short season in nineteen ninety nine i believe there was only a few a few races i have to look it up uh real quick but um
1: they had uh yeah, but, in nineteen ninety nine they had ten they had ten races so ten. You, so ten races which was uh
0: you know one less one more than they they would end up having in um two thousand and uh now does that count count the uh, no, okay, that doesn't count. The canceled Charlotte race, so they were supposed to have um, three, uh, 11 races. Now, now keep in mind, of that eleventh race, the Visionaire 500K that, like I mentioned, was canceled. Um, Greg Ray was the leader, and he had led the most laps up until that point. So, but no points were awarded for it, obviously. So, when you look at Greg Ray, uh, he ended up having a much. He ended up beating Kenny Brack in the championship, actually by uh, about a full solid 40, 40 or so points, which is great. He had 293, whereas Kenny Brack had 256. So almost 40 points, which is insane to think about, considering the fact that he didn't even finish, uh, what, what what does it say here? Uh, five races? Five out of ten races. He crashed Damn. in half the races, but still won the championship. Um, and, and, and why is that? It's because 99 IRL. No, no, nobody ever said that. Ninety-nine I are... I mean, look, look at the top five. Let's talk about the top five. Greg Ray, Kenny Brack, Mark Dismore, Davey Hamilton, Sam Schmidt, then Buddy Lazier, Eddie Cheever, Scott Sharp, Scott Goodyear, Robbie Yunser, Jeff Ward, Billy Boat, Buzz Hawkins. Do you remember those guys?
1: Because I do. But I'm, I'm asking you, Joe, Josh, do you remember any of those guys? A number of those guys are, are familiar. Yes. Yeah. Very unique standings for sure. All right. I got, I got one for you. I'm gonna let's get down here and get some a very obscure
0: uh irl drivers uh let's see here uh mike borkowski dnq'd uh for the indianapolis 500 fun fact about mike borkowski however the very next year he raced in the nascar bush series yes yes for, yeah for bill uh, davis. for bill davis and yeah. uh was then fired because at&t the sponsor of that car said he was quote tarnishing their brand image yes I'm not lying about that. You can look it up. Uh, Dr. Jack Miller was also in the 1999 IRL season. Uh, Dr. Jack Miller would qualify uh, for the Indianapolis 500 to finish 31st and then quali- uh, qualify again for at Atlanta and finish 18th, both DNFs, because Dr. Jack Miller <laughs> has the distinct, the distinct, um, uh, I guess, honor, if you want to say, of only finishing four. IRL races is in his entire career spanning from 1996 to 2001. He finished four races and he entered the entire uh he never finished a race in 96 to 97. Dr. Jack Miller did he he retired from all of them. In 1998 he finished 21st at Indianapolis. Um he finished 16th at New Hampshire's, 9th at Charlotte and 12th at Texas 2. De- uh retired from all the other races and after that, twelfth place at Texas two in nineteen ninety eight. He would never finish another IRL race again. So good job, Doctor Jack Miller. Uh, if you're in Carmel anytime soon and need a dentist, I guess he's still practicing um, because I'm pretty sure that's what he was best at. <laughs> I, I love talking about the IRL. It's so it's so strange, but we gotta get we gotta get moved on because I'm I'm going on tangents. And Josh, you're looking at me probably like <laughs> the heck up. Shut the heck up. Nobody wants to hear about your. IRL drivers, people, have, everybody knows Cart was better back then, ah, oh, whatever, I don't care what you say <laughs> I, I don't care what, you, yeah, Juan Montoya versus Dario Franchitti in 99 was so much more entertaining than Greg Ray winning the championship, yeah, sure, whatever you. yeah, sure, whatever,
1: uh, let's talk about it's the NASCAR, it's still fun to talk race. about, in, in general still fun to talk about, you know, learning and I always learn something when, when I listen to you talk about that, but let's, yes, yeah, so let's, move, let's move on and let's talk about the next race which, you it has some surprises in it, for sure
0: you know, I didn't expect this. You know, if you would, you if you had talked to me at the beginning of the race, at, at the beginning of the day, and said, "Hey, uh, we're going to have a first-time winner in the Xfinity series," I'm going to look at you and be like, "Oh, ooh, who could it be?" And then and it ends up being Brandon Jones, and
1: I'm just like, "Oh, okay." Yeah. But I had it hit the it, theme of the last thirty minutes of that race. It That's really did. Sure. It really did. Uh, it took
0: 134 tries. <laughs> But the wait is over for Brandon Jones as he pulled in the NASCAR Xfinity Series victory lane for the first time in his career, and a day which saw dominant cars have problems. Jones led the final ten laps to answer the call to win at a team before uh, to win at a team before he returns to JGR in twenty twenty for his third season. Kansas Speedway uh, in the four Xfinity series playoff races has never been won by an active playoff driver. Kyle Busch won it in 2016, Christopher Bell in 2017, Hunter Nemechek in 2018, and now Brandon Jones in 2019. That's interesting. It's
1: a wild card
0: race for them. It's almost their Talladega. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, Austin Sindrick had early issues with a vibration, which caused him to pit before the stage Indy caution on stage one on lap 70. Sindrick tagged the back of Harrison Burton's car, which spun Burton around and into the wall, and then Sindrick, and then he hit the wall and came down on Sindrick, and Sindrick had damage to the right front corner of the car uh Burton retired the car and fit, Sindrick would end up finishing 25th six laps down. Noah Gregson had speed in his j- junior motorsports car but had a couple of issues. First he had issues on the pit road uh which pit stop which sent him to the middle of the lead lap pack. He then he had a flat tire with 8 laps to go and he only rallied to 13th, kind of disappointing for him. Michael Annette finished 4th but not before bringing out the caution on lap 146 when he rode his car against the wall in turn two uh, a number of cars were arrow loose and john hunter nimichek spun out in his own uh so you know interesting arrow loose. Nice to see i, I mean Did they you? pointed it out in the beginning of the show uh, at the beginning yeah. of the broadcast uh just how small the spoilers were on these cars compared to the cup cars and it was very and i think that made it very interesting because we saw how fast the xfinity series cars they were about a full three four miles an hour faster than the cup series which is very odd and interesting to see first of all but second of all, just to see how they were able to race and how, you know, Xfinity Series, I saw a lot of people talk about how the Xfinity Series is like cream of the crop this season, this year. Yeah. And it's, I agree I, wholeheartedly. I think uh, it's been that way
1: for the past two, maybe three years.
0: Oh, absolutely. I, I, I mean, you make all these notes here, Josh, uh, that noting that that arrow loose was nice to see. And it really quite was because that's not something that we see in the Cup Series all the time because the cars are so, you know, glued to the glued to the surface, glued to the ground. Uh, you know, you're really not you're burping the throttle, if anything, you know, whereas mm-hmm. these X- Xfinity guys, I mean, you're out of the throttle for, you know, a good co- portion, about a quarter of the, the the corner. And usually the guy who gets into the corner, gets back into the throttle, is going to be the bravest guy. Yeah. So just, just overall interesting. Um, so with 17 laps to go. This is the thing that <sighs> this is the thing that, that caught a lot of people. And we're going to talk about this later because I want to talk about this. Um, Garrick Smithley slides up into the lanes of leader Chase Briscoe and second place Christopher Bell, which results in a wreck. Smithley was done, but Briscoe and Bell would soldier on. Briscoe would finish third while Bell was 12th. Smithley took responsibility and said not to blame his spotter. His spotter said that he was telling him that the leaders were coming in to go low, but Smithley never got the message. <laughs> Smithley told reporters the medical center he was on seventy laps tires just riding out there. Oh my
1: god! Which is it's just kind of one of these deals where, uh, of course, you know I think we need to it needs to be addressed. Okay, why didn't you get the message? Was there something wrong with the radio? Was there a transmission issue? Seventy lap
0: tires, but
1: but that's the that's the reality of this series. I've listened to a a number of, of people talk this year, and it's like you know they buy tires. You know some of these teams just buy old tires. From Cup teams or other Xfinity teams, and they go out there and to complete the race, they may be out there with one or two sets of tires. Where the junior motorsports, Joe Gibbs Racing, he's the Team Penske, he's the Stuart Haas's of the world, they have the four full sets for the race. And you know, going out there on seventy-lap tires, um, you know, just trying to finish, get the best finish they can. Should an issue arise with someone else late in the race, Like caution takes out ten cars. All of a sudden, you get bumped up if you are within a net, if the, within enough laps, you get those ten extra positions. You get the ten extra positions worth of money. It's the reality of the economics of the series, um, which is not going to get the attention. You know that little line that he said is not going to get the attention that instead of him drifting up into the way of of, of Chase Briscoe and Christopher Bell, which to me, I don't I don't think you know he. the lot of people labeled him at Las Vegas as an issue. Um, I don't think that's Garrett Smithley. If he honestly had an issue and he couldn't see out the rear of his car and he sees no one there. Um, and, uh, I would have, I, I can't blame him for that. Also on the same time, when I say that, I don't know if there's, you know, if Freddie Kraft, who was spotting for him, Freddie Kraft spots for, um, level Wallace in the, Cup Series. I don't know if there was a point where he said earlier, hey, the leaders are coming or or, or, I don't know what the information that Garrett asked for the car because each driver is different, but if he didn't get that message because maybe two people were mic'd up at the same time or there was something else going on, but if he didn't get the message and he drifted up, Um, But that's still not going to take away with the image of what everyone saw on TV, at the track and uh, later on social media because that's how I found out about it. I was at my sister's wedding and I had my phone out and I was watching the replay there and I could not believe what I saw. So it was really it, one, of this, one of those crazy moments and you know, we're taught here, we're here talking about it just as n- a number of people are, um, uh, you, you know, so Rob, I, I kind of said my piece what's yours. Well,
0: I thought it, it was interesting how you said that, you know, I, I got in my car cause I had to leave for work. I'm running run a little bit late for work. I gotta get to work. Um, and I get in my car and I turn on the radio and I'm listening to it and I'm sitting there at a stoplight. And all of a sudden I hear, oh my goodness, the leaders have just crashed on the MRN. And I'm like, wait, what? What? And then they say, oh, Garrett Smithley drove up in front of them and they all crashed. And I'm like, Are you serious? You can't make this stuff up. You can't make this stuff up. Because of course Garrett Smithley goes and does Okay, look, listen, this, this is, look, I, I, I'm not going to crap on the small teams because I've gotten enough, enough heat for doing that. And I, I, I learned my lessons here and there. I kinda learned under understand better why some of these teams are in the financial situations that they are in. But I will say Dude Garrett Smith to get out of the way. Like this is this is not this you know, you know, one times an accident, two times a coincidence, and three times it's a pattern, right? You know, it's we're getting to that pattern. We're going to hit very slowly. Soon, if there's gonna be another incident with you, I can guarantee it. Just not getting out of the way and crashing the leaders. Look, if you are a lapped car, I I, I get it. It's frustrating. And I understand it's frustrating, and that's fine. You know, if you're a lap car, you're running out there and you're trying to get as many positions as you can get, man, as many points as you can get, as much money as you can get, I can understand it be frustrating. But dude, you've gotta get out of the way for the faster cars. I mean, they're not going to impede your race. You shouldn't impede theirs.
1: And I think like he I
0: think he generally rate. was well it just, this is a situation where this is again with Garrett Smithley like this isn't look you can't you have to listen to your spotter you have to be aware of your surroundings too and I understand if the spotter if the spotter can't relay a message to you then that's that's one thing that's that's you know, uh, uh, no fault of your own, no fault to anybody else. But, dude, you've got to be aware of your surroundings, too. You've got to be able to look in your mirror and say, oh, my goodness, we've, I've got cars coming at, out, up on me at about 20 miles an hour. I should probably go low.
1: Yeah. I should probably go low. And that's the one um, thing I think there's a hole in, in, in this story is is that, you know, he wasn't relayed the meshes there, but was there, were you told before, hey, the leaders, you know, like two last probably, the leaders are exiting turn two, you're entering turn three. Next lot, the leaders are halfway down the back stretch, you're entering turn three, and they're going to be on you on the front stretch. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You know, right. so I think that's a problem there, but, um,
0: like he it, knew it, what it, it, his
1: surroundings were, is what I'm yeah, saying at that point. I think he did. I think he did. But if if you if something, I don't know. I really don't know because maybe he thought he would go high, you know, stick high uh, along the front stretch, and they would go low, cut through. Maybe he just misjudged the rate of uh, approach from from Briscoe and Bell. I don't know. It, it it just I I think he's I don't know. Maybe I'm being too soft on the situation and I'm giving the guy too much benefit of the doubt. Um, but it, it it definitely he definitely got vilified a little bit on on social media, at least on Twitter, uh, which which a lot of people get vilified on Twitter and they don't necessarily deserve it. But they yeah, I, it, it was just no. I think it was just so much. It, it was compounded that it was the two leaders. I think that's what made it worse. And you know, you go back to Las Vegas and this issue with Kyle Bush in the closing laps of that race. Um, you know, that was, that was an issue of whole, he held his line. I don't think he long at Las Vegas. Um, but I think, I, I think I remember, remember bringing up that we didn't know the whole story of what was high to his spotter in that race and what was high to Garrett Smith and what was necessarily relayed or what was relayed to Kyle Bush. Um, so it, it, it's just an interesting situation for sure. That is going to be talked about this week. Uh, and we will probably be discussion uh, this off season a little bit too. And I and, and and let me say this too: It's the only thing that's going to get issue bigger for this team for these teams in the Xfinity and Truck series. And I don't know well, the Arca series uses a different tire, so it won't be an issue for them. And the and the and the Pro divisions next year will we'll use a different tire as well. They already are using a different tire, but when NASCAR switches to a tire, the 18 inch tire in the Cup series. They're not doing that in the Xfinity or Truck Series right away, um, so they're not going to be able to get tires from the Cup Series. So where are they going to get these tires from? These these, these small teams are going to have a bigger issue with the tire issue because if you have fresher tires, you're going to go faster, right? And you're going to have more grip. Mm-hmm. You're going to have more control of your car. Again, I'm I'm ranting on down in here, and I'm talking, and I, I'm trying to give the guy for the benefit of the doubt because you know we don't know. We I don't have access to the to the to the zero team radio to see exactly what was going on when it synced with the, you know, live time video. So um, it stinks that this happened, but it, it it happened and, and we got to move on, learn from it. All parties learn from it.
0: Well, you know, I think you're right. It's, it's just, I don't know. I, I'm, I told you I wasn't going to crap on the smaller teams, but I'm just amazed at what, you know, if you can't afford tires yet you're running a four car team like Johnny Davis is, dude, that's your problem. You're spreading your resources so thin. You can't, you can't, you can't leave a guy. You can't leave a driver out there on seventy lap tires. I mean, come on, that's not that's not cool. At least maybe don't show up with one of the cars one day. I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know how it works. I don't know how it works. Maybe yeah, that's he had he had uh... said than done,
1: but. He had Tyler Matthews in the fifteen, and Stephen Light in the zero one. They finished twenty eighth and twenty seventh respectively, and then the four car BJ McLeod finished nineteenth. I don't know where Garrett Smithley was running at the time; can't remember. But I don't, you know, like we've heard with uh, uh, Rick Ware, like we've heard with RSS Racing, uh, with Ryan Seek, You know, these guys will field additional cars that will allow the the, even with last place finishes, will allow them to buy a full race worth of tires for the one car so they can race the whole race and be competitive. And it's worked out for a couple of these teams in the past. But yeah, uh,
0: guys that are having to start and park, I feel terrible for JJ Yaley every time he gets in that RSS car because Yaley qualified 14th and had to start and park the thing after 13 laps.
1: He probably didn't start 14th either. He probably dropped to the back. On the uh, start, let me double
0: check. No, on the start,
1: that. well, I mean, well, did he? Did he start? I mean, did he actually start the race in that position, or did he? I mean, he's, he's oh, credited credited with starting 14th. That's where he's qualified. But did he actually start? I mean, if you win the pole and you and you have to change an engine, you're still credited with starting first. You have to drop to the back nonetheless. So. Let's move on know. here. Let's talk about the end of the race too, and then we talk about the playoff outlook because we've talked about this for a little while too, uh, so we don't run out of time.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, on the second re- to last restart of the race, Tyler Reddick slid up into Cole Custer while battling for the lead, and Custer hit the wall. Reddick finished second while Custer finished 11th. There was this resulted in an altercation on pit road. Oh boy, we had a fight yeah. on pit road. Holy con- well,
1: I don't know if it, it was a fight, it was a lot of grabbing and shoving. I think, Hugging. uh, yeah, it, it, it was it was uh crap, Spencer Gallagher and John West Hamley, like 2.0, except it was uh, slightly it a little better.
0: It wasn't um, that good, yeah, yeah, it, yeah. It, it,
1: it,
0: it was it was it was kind of like I, I thought of it as um, you know, you remember like uh, what was it, 2002 or something when. Greg Biffle and Kevin Harvick were at each other. That's what it looked like a little bit more, you know, where it was just like, you know, you're, one guy is shoving the other guy, and then the other guy is shoving him, and you know, they're they're just grabbing onto their their fire suits. They're not really like doing anything. They're not throwing punches. They're not doing any. They're not
1: going yeah, it, for it, the
0: takedowns. They're just grabbing each other's, you know, grabbing each other by by the collar and just shaking them, you know. Yeah,
1: it, it was it was not a good looking fight. Let's put it that way. I hope they don't use it in promotion. Yeah, we they're don't want to be promoting to. that. Yeah, they're going to, but I don't want to. So, the uh, you know, like you like you mentioned, you know, Jones held off Reddick and and, and Briscoe for the win. And what's the playoff outlook? Uh, yeah, let's take a look at the playoff outlook right now because uh, we've got some you know uh, first
0: round anything can happen. We got Chase Briscoe, or excuse me, Christopher Bell is uh, still uh, your points leader. He has an eleven point lead over Cole Custer, and then Tyler Reddick, he's got a twelve point lead over. So he's only got a 12-point buffer from uh, from back to third. But then Justin Allgaier is 47 points back. Chase Briscoe is 49 points back. Michael Lynette is 59 points back. Um, and then Noah Gregson is 64 points back. And Austin Sindrick is 77 points back. So it'll be interesting to see what happens here. Interesting for Michael Lynette. Michael Lynette actually ended up, you know, like we mentioned, he ended up coming home fourth. So a really, really good finish, especially after starting 38th on that. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see if Annette can, you know, maybe pop his way, uh, you know, work his way, point his way into the final four. Yeah. Uh, if if something happens to Justin Allgaier, uh, Allgaier's got to win. Um, Allgaier's got to win, point,
1: plain and simple. The Dude's got to win. Cindric has to win. I don't. I, I he has to have something go. Really, has really. Yeah, yeah. I think Cindric will run better than Annette and Gregson over the next two races. But the problem is he's thirty points back from the cutoff line, which is Allgaier, and he's and uh, um. And that's that. That's that's. I think that's too big of a gap to make it all the way to to the top four by uh, at Texas and Ice and Raceway. Again, anything can happen. We've seen that in these playoffs. We saw it on Sunday, as we'll talk about. But there is definitely Cindric uh, is on is on the hot seat after having two really big issues, and no one else really had big issues. Who uh, on 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 Saturday? So um yeah, tough tough for him and. It will be fun to watch. This has been, this is an exciting playoffs in the x series.
0: Oh, absolutely. I think that, um, you know, I think for Cindric Cindric's in a must win situation. All guys in a must win situation. Uh, and I know that sounds crazy to say that I think all guys in a must win situation because he's sitting fourth, but you know, the, there's a beehive behind him for yeah. all going for that last position in, in the final championship four. And considering the fact that Christopher bell has basically got about 50 points, a buffer, at, you know, Second and third right now are kind of decided. You know, Cole Custer, Tyler Reddick, it's just going to be so difficult for anybody else to get into that Final Four without a win.
1: And they're well within the ability. All three of those guys, since they don't have a win, Bell, Custer, and Reddick can all be locked in via points. Mm -hmm. um, Or win, because only one of them can win at Texas. Uh, But you could be looking at one of those three guys winning, or none of them winning, but all three be advancing to homestead with only one race left in the round of eight. That's how that, that's at the biggest playoffs points. You know, it, they're so critical and we're seeing it right now here when you're really talking about one position. Um, so yeah, yeah I really crazy. don't, I don't doubt that that's going to be, that's going
0: to have to be the case. So, yeah. um, interesting, 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 always interesting to talk about these playoffs, especially since, you know, there was a, a an article re- released, uh, by Jenna Fryer talking about the playoffs and how it all happened. And, you know, you could say what you want about the playoffs, you know, whether or not you know NASCAR was in the right or in the wrong to to do this, but you know, hey man, it's made the last it's made these last couple of races really really exciting, especially when you're going up against football. Yeah, and you know, football season is 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 here. It's in the swing of things. I mean, I st- we started the the podcast off talking about how difficult it on pro- uh, how sad I was the Seahawks lost. You know, it's it's hard to uh compete with football because it's so popular. But I think NASCAR having these playoffs has really I mean I looked at some of the, the NBC said the, the ratings for Kansas were up. Yeah twenty yeah, percent
1: uh, Yeah that was it was great.
0: You know, yeah, it's it's fantastic to see. Uh I'm really, really happy to see it because, you know, that's just that's just what what we wanna see. You know, people can argue all and on and off about whether or not this is you know, a legitimate way to determine a champion. But, you know, in my opinion, it is because playoff points. Well, just yeah. saying playoff points. Playoff points are awarded for consistency. And the main complaint for years about people with the chase format was that it didn't reward consistency. Now it rewards consistency, and we're seeing situations in which, look at this, the top four, I'm looking at the non-playoff standings, and I'm looking at the playoff standings. The top four in the playoff standings, are the same exact as the top four in the non-playoff standings. Now, they're, they're different. Redick leads the, the points over Christopher Bell and Cole Custer and Justin Allgaier. But, dude, it's the same top four. So you're talking yeah. about the, the top four most consistent drivers is going to be able to run for a championship at the end of the, the season. I yeah. don't see a problem with that. Dude, yeah. that's that's fine with me. So, you know, I love it. I love it. I love the drama that it's bringing, and I love the drama a lot because when, when we get into talking about the Cup Series, there's a lot of drama that, that that ended up happening this week. So let's talk about the rest of the best real quick because there was a, some news and notes we were going to talk about. Uh, there were some driver announcements this past week following our last podcast. Ricky Stenhouse Jr. will be going over to JTG Doherty Racing to drive their second full-time injury. So basically, we're just swapping... Uh, Busher goes to Roush, Stenhouse goes to JTG. So we're just ride swapping there. Uh, the number and sponsor will be announced at a later date. I'm going to assume it's going to be 37, sponsored by Kroger.
1: Um, I'm kind of low key hoping for the 59 because that's I, what I, they I, ran. That's what they ran in the Xfinity series. Bring that back and just little, little throwback. Yeah, <laughs> I, I know, I know it's weird, but that's just low key what I'm hoping for. Oh, I've always hoped that
0: if if a 59 was going to run, that it would be a uh, Levine Family Racing. Second yeah. entry, but that's, that's fair. just me. Uh, yeah. Other driver being re-signed was Clint Boyer. He will be returning to Stuart Haas Racing in 2020 for a fourth year in the number 14 car, which is good because you know it's not like you could say Clint Boyer has let anybody down. I mean, dude's dude was still in the playoffs, um, and you know he he made the playoffs. You know, so what if he hasn't won this season? It's
1: it's been a it's been a rough year for Stuart Haas yeah. in general.
0: It's been really rough. Unless your name is Kevin Harvick, you're yeah you're just having a rough season. I mean, well, even then, it was
1: rough for him until about mid-July.
0: Right. Yeah. So, I, you know, in my opinion, I, I mean, look at how Eric Almarola has not had the same season he had last season. No. Um, Daniel Suarez has had some good runs, flashes of good runs, just like Clint Boyer has, but just just not haven't been there. And then you got Kevin Harvick, who's just perfect for some reason, and yeah. I don't know why. Um, anyway, so the last major rides up for grabs right now are the Stuart Haas, number 41. Uh, I expected that either Daniel Suarez or Cole Custer will be in the car. I'm pretty sure Cole Custer is going to be in the car. I love Daniel Suarez to death. I loved seeing what he was doing on Sunday, but money talks, dude. And I know he's got money, but
1: wins talk. Winns wins talk, talk, talk more. Too, and that's and what... Cole
0: Custer's got seven Xfinity Series wins, and Suarez only had what one or two
1: <laughs> in yeah. his
0: tenure. So, yeah. Um, and it's just the way things are. Uh, mm-hmm. But anyway, the second ride is the number 38 for Front Row Motorsports, which David Reagan will be vacating when he retires from full-time cup competition at the clu- conclusion of the season. So, you know, if I wanted to say anything, I think at this point, if Ford likes Suarez, because I guess Toyota didn't like Suarez all that much, but if Ford likes Suarez, if Ford likes Suarez, they'll probably work to keep him in a car in a Ford, so he'll probably slide into that 38, which would yeah. be fine because then he'd probably have full sponsorship from Aris, which would help uh, that that organization overall. Um, but you know, I, I, I don't know. We'll just have to see what happens. It'll be interesting. Uh, there was, there was some. Cra- also, there was some crazy stuff. What, what the heck happened? If, some people were saying that like re- driving the number three car cursed the weekend. Like Richard Childress driving Dale Earnhardt's car like cursed the weekend because there was. I don't
1: buy that. I don't <laughs> buy it. It's it, this I, is all coincidental.
0: I don't buy. it. I don't know. I'm one to. I'm one to believe in in sports curses. I definitely believe in sports curses, 100%. Uh, NASCAR community was thankful after four hauler drivers were okay after two separate hauler incidents occurred on the way to Kansas Speedway. First was Colleague Racing's number 10 hauler crashed off the road, and then JTG Darty's Racing's number 47 hauler caught fire. Colleague Racing was assisted by uh, technical partner RCR and JTD g doherty racing he used technical partner hendrick motorsports for assist- assistance this weekend to get their cars prepared for the race so whew, crazy crazy stuff yeah. is happening this oh and then and uh, by the way did, did i did you find out that uh greg golding had a random alert yeah, reaction uh, and, and yeah, had to land true. the plane that was taking him to kansas and what the heck was going on down there um and we got other news not nascar news not nascar news but Super Formula news, Pato Award, and Yuri Vips news. You know I like talking about these guys. You know how I am. Big fan of Formula One feeder series racing. Uh, European single-seater racing. Uh, so, Red Bull has decided that Yuri Vips, who was, I believe, the runner-up in the F3 championship this season, um, will be replacing Pato Award it's in Super Formula. Now, for for this race weekend at, at, at Super Formula. So this weekend, uh, Yuri Vips will be in, in in the car. So it says, I'm, I'm going to read a little bit of the article here. It says, uh, with his F3 campaign over, the Estonian driver will head to Japan to compete in the final round of the Super Formula season, taking over the place vacated by Pato Award. Award had joined the Japanese series only three rounds earlier as a replacement for the ousted Dan Tictum, who Red Bull had been grooming for a possible F1 debut in 2020 before dropping him from his youth driver program mid-season. The Mexican driver initially struggled to adapt to Super Formula machinery without testing and failed to escape Q1 elimination for two rounds in a row, but scored his first points at Okayama amid an overall improved showing. Award had previously expressed his desire to continue racing in Super Formula in 2020, but his replacement VIPs plunges his future of his Red Bull ties into doubt. Red Bull Motorsport uh, advisor... Helmut Marco visited Japan in August to discuss the Energy Drink brand's future in Super Formula. It is believed that Red Bull will continue to field two drivers in the series in 2020, with VIPs being considered for a full-season drive. The other seat could be retained by Lucas Auer, who has enjoyed an impressive maiden campaign in the BMACs motor park team, including a podium finish at Sugo. So, you know, I I believe from that point, I believe they said that uh, award is now... He's no longer with the Red Bull program anymore, which puts him potentially in the conversation for the McLaren IndyCar drive. Uh so we've got so l- the rest of the best is really just season, silly season we're talking about right yeah. now. Uh so could Pato Award make his return to IndyCar is what the bank is what is being considered right now. Uh you know, I don't think Pato Award deserved to be ousted from Super Formula this soon. I think Red Bull has has just completely given up on him suddenly. Which is really unfortunate, really sad, because, you know, like I said, you know, like the article that I just read said he was doing pretty well, uh, and he had been doing well in the last, most recent um, round, but, you know, for the se- season finale, they just they just took him out. I can't understand why they decided to do that, but it's unfortunate because, you know, I think a lot of people really wanted to see Pato Award do, do well uh, out there over there in Europe. But, you know, it's just hard when you're being baptized by fire out there. You have no idea how this new car that you've never driven before is going to handle any of that. It, it, I can imagine it was probably frustrating for him. So that is the rest of the best. Let's talk about the Monster Energy NASCAR Cup Series because we've got, oh, you know, about 45 minutes left in the show. Let's go ahead and talk about Monster Energy NASCAR Cup Series and what can only be described as a chaotic race after lap 254, it was on that lap that the race and playoff picture was turned upside down. A few laps prior uh, to that, Ryan Blaney had previously hit the wall hard before his tire began to shred. So Blaney's tire shreds, right? And then the caution comes out. So, uh, you know, so caution breaks out, brought down the lead lap cars for fresh tires. Uh, Chase Elliott, who had been, who had just been, Having difficult times. He was on he was he was almost going to be eliminated. Like if Brad Keselowski made up some positions, Chase Elliott was 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 as good as out. Yeah, as they were running. Yeah, it was gone. Chase Elliott had
1: to drive his tail off in order to get anything out of this this race. And he was on an island. And he was on an island. Like he was like four seconds from from seventh, and he was four seconds ahead of ninth. He had nowhere to go. And Brad Keselowski really had no more positions to lose himself. Um uh for based on how fast he was running even though he wasn't great. It was a, it was a it was looking like, you know, with thirteen, fourteen laps to go. The, it was the playoff picture was set. And then you yeah. have a tire shred. Absolutely. Um, you
0: know, that's just how fast things can change and how fast things can happen. You know, race isn't truly over until that it's, checkered flag falls. Um and so after the restart, Chase Elliott made his way up to second. And he was hunting down Denny Hamlin. He was because- going for him. I mean, he was going for him full throttle. I mean, he was gonna, it was gonna be win, checkers or, or wreckers, basically, almost for him. Um, and then, with three laps to go, the entire wheel comes off of Bubba Wallace's car, and he yeah. spins and collects his Matt, Matt Tift. So we got overtime. Overtime's coming up, which is inevitable, right? Cautions breed cautions; they just do. Uh, so the whole wheel comes off. I think they said like a, a housing or hub failure caused that problem yeah. for uh Bubba Wallace so it wasn't like a loose wheel entirely it was just like a a failure on the axle I guess uh yeah. which is unfortunate for him so uh Brad Keselowski and previous free press cars comes down come down pit road so Keselowski he's got he's got fresh tires now he's going to he's got basically two laps to save his season right
1: no yeah. and he's only got a few points to make up i think yeah. he had like he two had or three pass, positions
0: he had to pass a couple of cars so you know it it seemed like at that time all right Keselowski keep pushing. If Chase Elliott wins this race, you're you're kind of up a creek without a paddle, but you know, you if Chase Elliott doesn't win, you control your own destiny at that point. Yeah. Yeah. So, he comes down and then the first lap and then so so this is the thing that I was blown away by was we get we take the green flag and we complete almost the lap uh when Daniel Suarez crashes, hits Brad Kla- Keselowski and slams the outside wall uh, and, and, and collects a couple of more cards. Uh, but I could have sworn Hamlin crossed the start finish line.
1: I could have done that and too. I'm like, uh, are we sure Hamlin did I was cross- like,
0: this race is over. Like, there's an old saying by the great Bill Weber, the caution is out, the race is over.
1: Was That's what I thought we were going to have. Yeah. The
0: caution is out, the race is over. Right? Apparently, no. Whoever replaced David Hoots up there has the fastest finger in the West because he just because, boom, right, boom. like, what well, was, like, a few inches before Hamlin crosses the finish line. He park, had a half a car length.
1: length. They had, NBC showed a great shot. They had half a, Hamlin was half a car length from the edge of the start-finish line. You know, he doesn't have to cross the start-finish mm-hmm. line. He has to just eclipse, like, a, you know, the the barrier, you know, break break the, the break the plane like in football. Break All I had to do was break point. the plane of the start-finish line, half a car length away, the light's fully on, the race is not over, we're going to have another overtime, I was like, "Oh my gosh!" I know, and and so I'm sitting there thinking, and, and I remember, like
0: we were waiting, and I'm like, "Okay, surely they're going to call this race, right?" Yeah,
1: yeah it, it, it. that's what we—that's what they're doing. I think they had to find it, like, okay, we had to find conclusive evidence that he didn't cross this yeah. line. I mean, it wasn't—it wasn't an obvious thing,
0: because <laughs> I think NASCAR was just—I—I I honestly thought NASCAR, and and maybe this is the conspiracy theorist in me. I thought NASCAR was just sitting there that were like. Oh oh no. Oh no. We can't have uh, a we can't have this race end under under caution. This is terrible. We're on network television. We can't yeah. let this happen. We've got to quickly figure out a way to extend this race a little bit more. And I thought that they were just kind of, you know, BSing their way to be able to say, yeah, sure, fine, we can do But no, actually, they legitimately threw the caution before Denny Hamlin crossed the start-finish line or even touched the start-finish
1: line. Yeah, and the booth was just a surprise because, like, Steve Vitar was like, and guys, look how close this was. And I think they were genuinely surprised up in the booth, and that was great. I couldn't believe it either. I I was sitting here, I was just like, dude, NASCAR just fixed
0: this race. No, they didn't.
1: No, no, they no, didn't. They didn't. This
0: race. <laughs> no. Like, I thought the NFL fixed a couple of games, like that that Lions-Packers game, definitely fixed. Don't don't quote me on that. I know that was fixed. <laughs> I know for a fact that was fixed. Like, come on, do not tell me that that race... – did, did you see hands to the face on Trey Flowers? Because I didn't. Twice. They called it twice, and he didn't do it. Anyway, I, I'm getting off topic now. But, you know, so – Okay, no fixes. NASCAR doesn't fix the race, uh, and so nobody pits during this caution. And the field restarts, and I'm sitting here thinking, "All right, Chase Elliott is going to win this race one way or another." He doesn't, but uh, he does. He does make it back out to second. Uh, but Brad, Brad Keselowski, he's the one who has a problem on this last restart. So I think, I think if that if that caution had been flown, I believe Keselowski would have been okay. But because yeah, he was he-
1: in. He was in by two or three points, and then the caution comes out. He 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 did not get a good start he first off like he he was didn't choose the right line and that line slowed up caused his momentum to fall back then he gets passed as a result and then he loses further momentum entering turn uh 3 and then he takes a white flag and it's just it's over from there because he overdrives the exit of turn 2 and and um he hits the wall and all he had to do I, it 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 was tough he gave it all he had and his car was a tough handling car Um, but he did, he did not want to see, you know, Chase didn't want to see that the first, uh, caution, you know, he was driving up there. He was, I think he's going to pass Hamlin. Um, and then Bubba's incident happens and then you get another caution for Suarez Keselowski didn't want to see that one. So you restart again. And then, and then you see, you know, the end result was that Chase made it by three points. He had to finish, uh, 14 positions ahead of Keselowski. And he finished 17. So there you go. Eh, yeah, he that's did all what he had you. to do. He did. I do. It was crazy. I I was uh that race needed that. I that I, you know I'm, I'm glad to see the ratings were up 20. percent But that was as far as 2019 standards go. It wasn't the most entertaining race. It needed it needed that little that that, that little excitement at the end. Um, you know. So thank you, Ryan Blaney, for overdri- uh, overdrive over driving one and two and having a tire go down because it set up another an exciting final 20 25 minutes of that race
0: yeah i mean i am you know it it was just it was an interesting weekend it was a very interesting weekend to say the least uh and and there were several other news and notes here that was crazy to me to think about daniel hemrick starts in the poll and i'm just sitting and i remember when i when i saw that i was like are we for real
1: I'm not surprised by that, though. RCR has qualified really well this year. It's been putting the whole race together that they've been kind of behind on. And uh, these mile and a half, they ran really well in qualifying. And so I was not surprised to see Hemrick get the pole. really wasn't.
0: RCR, the cup program, has been really behind the eight ball. And I don't know what they need to do to fix it. Because when Ryan Newman was there, it just felt like, you know, Ryan Newman, <laughs> I feel like is still in, in, in the top of, of his career. And he's just spending all of his time now fixing these cars these teams I should say like Fenway Roush Fenway and, and RCR that are just really kind of mid-pack at best you know he's just spending all of his time making those guys look better and once Ryan Newman left RCR RCR looks kind of crummy now uh, same thing happened with Paul Menard left RCR they look kind of crummy now um you know I it's, it, it, I just was just a bit surprised about it. And I, was, I wasn't as surprised to see David Reagan qualify second because, you know, the front row motorsports cars have been qualifying pretty well. Michael McDowell's had some pretty good qualifying runs and so has David Reagan. Of course, Matt Tift is still... Matt Tift, I don't think it's his fault. I think it's a whole new team, whole new car, still adjusting, still learning, still growing. I think it's going to take him a while to really get on par with his two teammates there. But, you know, it, I just felt that it was an interesting weekend of qualifying, especially. And then you got uh Joey Logano, man, just saved by a late stage one caution, which allowed him to get the stage win after having to pit early for an issue. So saved his butt big time there. Uh, yeah. Also, I just want to say, um, dude, Daniel Suarez, please get your balls checked because they're clearly far too big for this. Um, because that five wide move that he made on one of those restarts blew my mind. I actually thought Suarez was going to be in pristine condition to have a solid top five day today. day on sunday and that didn't happen unfortunately uh i was definitely wrong um clint boyer was never really a factor to win his hometown track struggles continue kyle larson was strong early and showed that if he gets to homestead he can ride along the wall again i'm scared if kyle larson gets to homestead i i would be
1: scared if i'm any competition if kyle larson gets to homestead i don't care who you are nobody is gonna be able to beat him and he's not like you know you look at you know what you'll see with like kevin harvick and some of these guys they running around the top at Homestead. Yeah, they'll run at the top, but they won't run against the wall until late in the race because they don't want to damage the car. Kyle Larson, mm-hmm. man, I don't think, I think he's learned a little, a couple lessons off the drive hard, but he's going to go there right away and he's going to be fast. Oh my God. I'm,
0: I mean, it's just going to be interesting who's going to come down, who's going to be in that championship for, first and foremost. Um, And then, you know, once you figure out, okay, who's going to be in the championship for, yeah, uh, it, that that after that, it's it's all it, it's you know anything can happen and yeah. anything will probably happen if I know anything, um, if I know anything about uh, how NASCAR moves, um, mm-hmm. and so, but Kyle Larson did another thing which was fun. He dumped Joey Gase on lap one hundred and seventeen. So. Left cars again twice in the weekend get in the way of faster cars. Did I think Kyle Larson needed to dump Joey Gase? Probably not, but I get it. He didn't need to do that. I don't think it was right for him to do that, but I get it. You know, if you're riding behind all these cars that are just so much slower than you, like, come on, just you're you're 10 miles out off the track. If you see Kyle Larson... You, in your rearview mirror, you should probably go low because yeah. you want to know where Kyle Larson is probably going to be. He's probably going to be going high because that's where Kyle Larson likes to run. It reminds yeah. me a lot of Casey Kane back in the day. Casey Kane used to love running the high line. And, you know, if you see Kyle Larson in your rearview mirror, you should probably get out of the way, go to the bottom. and not bother. I don't know the whole deal. I didn't really pay attention. I didn't really care. I just thought it was funny for a while because sometimes I think I'm a cynic. <laughs> um, and I find The struggles of lapped cars to be funny for some reason i don't know i think i'm just a cynic i'm like that but it was you know if i'm if i'm kyle larson in that situation i don't know if i dump him i probably move him out of the way definitely let him know i'm there but do i dump him i don't know if you should wreck a lapped car on purpose that's my opinion i don't think you should wreck a lapped car on purpose i I think that's a little bit that's a bit of a low blow i don't know what do you think about that josh
1: uh, I think it's just a momentum deal. He didn't want to lose his momentum, and and he didn't want to uh, lose any more time than he already had because he was already not uh, at the front of the pack. So he was moving forward, and he didn't want to hurt that speed. And 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 I, whether he meant to dump him or not, I mean, he just meant to just bump him out of the way. And maybe Joey, he's thinking, "Man, Joey will catch the car," but uh, it didn't work that way. And you know, joey Gates went for a ride and parked the car as a result. And that one didn't get as much attention as the Garrett smithley one, but
0: um, well, because it, it didn't w- affect the outcome of the it, race, it, it didn't affect
1: the outcome of the race. But I mean, it, it, I think I don't, I think it, if anything, it deserved a little bit the same, but I don't know. I, I didn't, have, again, I don't have probably it's racing, it's racing, folks. And, and whether he meant to dump them or not is a whole other deal. So I'm just interested to look at these playoffs because. You know, you have Kyle Busch, who's plus 18. Mark Truex Jr. is plus 14. Denny Hamlin is plus 9. And Joey Logano is plus 2 after the restart. Kevin Harvick is minus 2. When was the last time Kevin Harvick was minus 2 or minus anything going into the playoffs? I don't know. Uh, Chase Elliott's minus 6. Larson is minus 19. And Blaney's minus 21. So it's going to be really, it's going to be a fun couple of races here to see how this plays out. You know, you got Chase runs, runs well at. Martinsville and ISM, Harvick's an ISM, God, Logano, um, he, he I think he can win anywhere in a mile and a half. Denny Hamlin is he, having the best year of his career. Truex and Kyle Busch could win anywhere. They both Kyle Bush is in a little bit of a slump right now, though he's had speed. And That's then you look the at thing, Kyle, yeah. Kyle Larson and Ryan Blaney, where you know Blaney's won at Texas before in the Xfinity series, and Larson's, what, I think, won at Texas too in the Xfinity series, or at least a mile and a half in the Xfinity series. So it's going to be it's just going to be an interesting again. You have two. I think in a lot of people's eyes, Larson and Blaney were surprise winners mm-hmm. in the round of twelve. They were so, for me. Yeah, so, so for them moving on is kind of taking spots away. And and you know when we look at her predictions, you know I predicted by this time Newman, Amarola, Boyer, uh, Bowman, Jones, Larson, Byron, and Blaney would all be gone. So I got eight, six of the eight right, and you predicted the same eight would be out. So, we were both thinking on the same level there, but we both had, as a result, um, uh, Kurt Busch and Brad Kazowski moving on. And and I think that just kind of shows that, you know, we're, we we pay attention to this enough. And despite how seasons had gone, the experience level in the playoffs that Larson and, and Blaney wouldn't be moving on. So, I think that's what, what we, could we see a surprise person or two in the championship for? I don't know. So it's fun.
0: I you know that would be that would be surprising because I think when when I made these picks when I was making the picks like last month or two after Indianapolis I was sitting there thinking I was more looking at trends like historical trends of how these uh, these championships tend to run and usually it's the guys who are the most consistent so I picked the most consistent guys and it turned out that oh anything really and truly can happen where, you know, some guys might be consistent all season,
1: yeah. but
0: not just consistent enough, not winning enough to actually stay in contention for the championship. So,
1: Yeah, and both our four championship fours are still intact. I had oh, Kyle Busch, Harvick, Hamlin, and Elliott. But
0: looking at the round of eight, I'm actually no longer super, like,
1: confident sold on about my
0: championship four picks.
1: Yeah, yeah i i was about to i was about to ask you know what are you sticking with your championship four that that you predicted are you are you wanting to, i mean you can't change it but if you could go back and change what, what 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 are you thinking who are you thinking right now is gonna be in the championship four in in three weeks
0: i'm not i'm not i'm not tr- i'm not ready to change it yet i'm still no to i'm still gonna keep it i'm still gonna keep it because we haven't seen anything about this round um but uh Whew.
1: Yeah. Um. Well, for me, I think if I were to make a change, if I were to make a change, I uh, I gotta I gotta be thinking about you know substituting Harvick out, and if I were to substitute anyone, I think I would put Larson in. And it, but it will be fun to watch. Again, anything can happen. And uh, I, Martinsville is going to be a teller because number of guys in that round of eight. Who can win at Martinsville and has shown they had speed at, at Martinsville uh, over the past few years? So oh, it's going to be exciting. Who doesn't get dumped at Martinsville? Who doesn't get? I mean, yeah. Where's the temper's going to fly? Are we going to have an issue where there's, you know, are we going to are we going to have a, a an issue like with the Hamlin Elliott issue again? Or are you going to have an issue like last year where it was a bump and run? You know, yeah. are we going to see something like that? Because look, I don't care. You can't race martinsville in the playoffs and it's going to be amplified next year you can't race martinsville in the playoffs like 2004 chase you got to right. you got to race it differently if you're, you if can't you're in points race you yeah, can't you, points race at martinsville i know gordon would love to have 2014 martinsville back he would if he would have known what was coming up in texas which that to me is a really good point like you don't you can't count on having a good race the following next two weeks or you know, next year uh, Martinsville will be the, be the penultimate race of the year, but you can't count on Texas and ISM. If you have a person out front, you can bump and run. Do it. You can't. It's the the, the rules of engagement are different now, and the rules have changed. The way you race have changed. So it's 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 crazy. It's going to be fun. Um, I'm I'm excited. I can't wait for Martinsville to get here. It's one of my favorite weekends of the year.
0: Martinsville is so is so wonderful when it's in the playoff time now because of just how absolutely insane it can get. I mean, insane it, it, is right. It, it becomes a a cluster truck of nonsense after a while and I love it. I love mm-hmm. that about it. Um so I think, you know, we let's let we we've kind of died down talking about a little bit of the the uh, the uh Kansas uh weekend. So let's go ahead and jump into our post discussion Discussions, if that makes any sense. So, our outstanding performance. Josh, let's talk about our outstanding performance because it looks like we picked the exact same driver who probably deserved it
1: no, no matter how you look at it. Well, I chose the number nine Hendrick Motorsports team. You know, from an outsider's perspective, and I'm watching this mostly on on TV, um, they have to be one of the most, if not the most, resilient teams in the garage, in the never-give-up attitude. Because... Y- You'll go you know this in the most recent weeks, Charlotte Roval, you had to have a resilient driver to overdrive that first turn. you know he says, "I can't believe I just did that." to resilient enough to have confidence in your car and your team to drive up and win that race. had to be resilient. Then you go to Talladega. they're involved in this crash. they you could they could have given up right then, crap, guys, crap. Our day's done, but no, they battled back, they worked on the car. Um, and, and the team did a fantastic job for them to go up and finish eighth in that race that put them in a points position to be where they were, uh, on Sunday. And that was to, you know what? We gave it our best, but you know what? You came back, you kept working on the car. Um, you had this confidence that you won here last year. You ran well here in the spring and you, you make the changes, put on tires. And then the driver has the mentality enough to say, you know what? This race isn't over yet. Let's go push hard. And you get the second almost win. Um, it has to be to me. It's the number nine team in general, not just Chase Elliott, but the number nine team in general. From, from Chase to Allen to all the guys who work on the car and the engineers, the pit crew have to be the most resilient team to be in the round of eight.
0: Hey, hey, I, I, I can't, I can't disagree with you. Like literally, I, I was sitting here, and as I, as I was thinking to myself, I was like, I was, I was actually thinking to myself. Who stands out? Who stands out to me? And I'm going through all of the results, and I'm going back, and I'm watching some of the race uh, again. And I'm just like, dude, you, you can't not give it to Chase Elliott. Like, I mean, I know that there were some drivers this week who definitely deserved a shout for some, you know, better-than-average oh, yeah. finishes. Like, I, I Michael yeah. Annette, Michael Annette was one that I was thinking about. Like, dude, finish fourth. Like, good job for him. He saved his uh, season pretty much. He did everything he needed to do in order to, to hang in there. Two, but, two top
1: 15s for JTG Daughtery? Right. In their, in their week. Yeah.
0: Especially, yeah, after the week that they've had. But there's something about driving your tail off when your season's on the line and actually getting it done
1: mm-hmm.
0: that kind of put Chase Elliott above above the rest. Uh, I, I, I mean, if it was not for Chase Elliott driving as hard as he did, all three Hendrick cars would have been eliminated in that playoff round, which would have been horrible. That would have been unheard of. Like, you would, like, imagine, like, all four Gibbs cards getting eliminated or something. You know, that's just just crazy and wild. And that's, for some reason, hasn't even been a big talking point. Like, people are not mentioning that William Byron and Alex Bowman didn't make the cut. You know, they're not mentioning that. Uh, But if it wasn't for Chase Elliott driving his butt off and it wasn't for a little bit of luck with Harvick falling back, we would have been talking about all three Hendrick cars being left on the outside looking in. And I, I just think that, you know, Chase saved not only his team season, but his entire owner season. He yeah. saved his own season. I mean, just great job by him. Great job by him. And I'm I'm giving it to him. Yeah, I'm giving it to him on that. Uh, so I know you said it was okay that we picked the same guys. I don't have a problem so, when we
1: picked the same guys. I picked the same. If you guy. believe I, it, if he, you think if we think the same guy deserves outstanding performance, you got to give it to him. You can't. I do- think he
0: does because I looked at all of the races from this weekend, and I, you know there were there were some really really good second place choices. I mean, oh, yes, lie. there were. Yeah, but Chase Elliott was the one dude that just. What more can you say about him? I mean, he's yeah. taking. I mean, Hendrick. I, I would think that Hendrick would be doing better by now. Like, Johnson should have five wins. Bowman should have more wins. Byron should have a win by now. Elliott should have more wins by now. But they're obviously struggling. And I don't think that's uh, any, from any shape or form, uh, a secret that the Hendrick cards are struggling I don't compared think to the struggling. previous seasons. No, no, no. I, I'm I saying compare to compared previous to previous, se- previous yeah, seasons. Yes. Compared okay, to, yeah. like, ten years ago, they're struggling. Yeah. You know, maybe, you know, compared to three years ago, they're not struggling. They're probably doing a lot better. But compared to like where they were 10 years
1: ago. Yeah. They're struggling. Well, you got to um, get up there. Yeah. Yeah. We think these, I don't think um, Jimmy, I don't know the, the relationship with Chad and him had, had come to an end. Okay. There's only so much you can do with the way they were talking with each other. The cars may be a little different for him. And then you have, you know, these guys, these young guys, cause Chase is still young. He's fourth season, fourth playoffs, third round of eight appearance, by the way, um, in his career. Um But you, you know, you gotta be learning and you got these guys like, Joey Logano, uh, Martin Church, Jr., who are who are able to adapt in multiple different cars, and he just has not have that experience. And Byron Bowman, uh, you know, just just for Byron's second year in general, Bowman it's it's his second year in great equipment. He's he's ran two previous seasons with with lower funded teams and not great equipment. But yeah, I I but I, I, I think we see Byron has had a chance this year. It's just about putting the whole thing together using that experience, but. um, you know, I yeah, he saved he saved Hendrick's season um and kept it. you know uh, uh, uh surely a talking point that would will we be talking about today if there was no Hendrick cars in a round of eight after they had three in a round of twelve.
0: Oh dude for sure. I mean people yeah. would probably be uh, you know a bit panicky, uh, Yeah, to be honest with you. So I think we should move in here real quick because you know time's getting a little bit crunchy right now so let's talk about let's go into the upshift and downshift segment because there's some interesting talking points i actually really really like some of these talking points um so the first question so let's let's recap uh if you're new to the show thank you first of all for listening we really appreciate it we're glad that you've stuck through so far we're 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 almost done with the show so you're going to be rewarded here with having known that you listened to a full podcast, which is something that I always take pride in because I almost never am able to. I do it like I pick it up here and there. But uh, So we're, we're ending the end. So the upshift and downshift. So if you are new uh, to, the, to the program, thank you again for, for, for tuning in. So upshift and downshift is essentially like our debate and discussion period, as if we haven't already had that. But it's where we <laughs> present a series of hypothetical uh, questions or statements, and we decide whether or not we agree or disagree with those hypothetical questions or statements. Uh, by doing upshift or downshift. Upshift meaning you agree, downshift meaning you disagree, neutral meaning you have no real big opinion one way or the other, and we give our reasonings for each uh answer that we get. So, Josh, let's start in and jump in. Harrison Burton was announced to be taking over the number twenty Joe Gibbs Racing Toyota Supra in the Xfinity series in twenty twenty last Thursday. Do you upshift or downshift on this move by Joe Gibbs racing?
1: Called it. I upshift. <laughs> I mean he's I think he's proven. I think he's had a better Second half, second two-thirds of this Truck Series season. Um, I think he's he's matured in that way. I think he took the criticism of, of Kyle Busch to heart, but he's also proven in the races where he hasn't been wrecked out of or had issues uh, in the 18 car that he can drive those cars, and he's, he's capable of it, and I think he uh, is deserving of the ride, so I upshift. I don't have a problem with it. I think he's, he, he'll he'll have his rookie struggles. But I think he'll be fine.
0: No, I I agree. I think, you know, I upshift on it too because I think he's he's looked a lot better in the Xfinity Series than he has in the Truck Series by far. Um, So I think a lot of that could just be communication. Maybe he likes the way the cars drive better. He's more used to that. Um, You know, it could be, you know, you can't really judge a guy, you know. I think it's hard to judge a guy by the performance in certain NASCAR series now since they're all so different. I feel like back in the day, you know, trucks were more similar to, Xfin- to, to Xfinity cars. And Xfinity cars were basically the exact same as truck cars, as, I mean, as cup cars, but with lower uh, horsepower. You know, I nowadays, everything's so different. So you're never really going to see how good a driver is until they get into that one series that they're just awesome in and that they just excel in. And that's kind of why I'm nervous for some of these guys make who are moving up next year, you know, from the Xfinity series like Tyler Reddick, you know. We all thought Daniel Hemrick was really, really good, but it turns out, you know, hey, he's struggling in the cup cars. You know, I always thought Ricky Stenhouse was really, really good. I always thought Austin Dillon was really, really good. They struggle in the cup cars. You know, I always thought, you know, Chris Busher was really, really good. And, you know, he is good, but he struggles in the cup cars. He's not as good as he was in the Xfinity so it's cars. It's taking a, a lot while of that...
1: to get where he's at. It's right. taking a while to get used to it. Yeah.
0: A lot of that is just simply because the cars are so dang different, and it's hard to address, adjust when you're so used to driving one style of car. Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I, for me, I think Harrison Burton, it'll find, I, I think it's too early to talk about him, you know, being like the next Gibbs prospect, because I don't think he is, and I don't think he will be. Um, but you know, Hey, uh, good for him. Good for him. So, um, uh, but I upshift on the thing because I think, you know, it'll, it'll give, uh, give some, some good Xfinity series results in the, uh, uh, for for 2020 especially since they're used to Christopher Bell winning almost every re- weekend you know i think it'll be it'll be good for them to have a guy who can at least potentially win every weekend so yeah uh next question a driver who was eliminated from the NASCAR playoffs in the round of 16 should be able to finish ahead of a driver in the final standings who was eliminated in the round of 12 so essentially what this is saying is we take away all those reset points that we gave them and we just say okay now you got as much points as you had Back at in Indianapolis, but we factor in your, your your positions, uh, based your your positions based on how you finish through the playoffs. So, uh, do you upshift or downshift on that kind of idea, Josh?
1: Honestly, I just never really liked it. I I, I, do, I think if you were eliminated in the round of sixteen, you should, your final point standing should reflect that. So you can't finish worse than sixteenth, but you can't finish better than thirteenth. Um. I think that's part of the stick and ball mentality creeping into my mind. Where you know the NBA, you're eliminated in the the uh, the first round of the playoffs. You're eliminated in the first round of the playoffs. But then again, you don't play anymore after you're eliminated. NASCAR, you're still racing. the the play People who first off didn't make the playoffs and people who are eliminated from the playoffs continue to race. I think they do it for from that standpoint, but also sponsorship. It gives you something else to race for. So fifth place is still pretty coveted position to win. Um, but uh, I, I just think that, I don't know, maybe I take this too far, but I guess I downshift on it. I think you, your your final position should reflect on where you were eliminated, whether that was eliminated from the playoffs before they were even be started or eliminated throughout the playoffs.
0: I mean, I get it. I don't think that, um, you know, if someone like Eric Jones needs to be able to finish fourth. Do I wish that Eric Jones could finish higher than where he is right now? Yeah, absolutely. Because I think what ended up happening to him was really unfortunate. But yeah, you know, I'm actually a bit more neutral on this. You know, I understand where you're coming from, and I agree with it. But on the other on the other hand, I also the idea of being able to kind of work your way up through. Uh, you know, if you say if you get eliminated and you were ninth, being able to finish maybe sixth is going to look a heck of a lot better. At the end of the day, on your resume, then it's oh, yeah. it then finishing oh, yeah. ninth and being able to do that would probably be a lot better. So, you know, mm. <laughs> um, I'm, I can tell I, you're struggling. I'm struggling with this one. I'm struggling with this one. It's just so hard. I've got to go into neutral because I think I'm okay with whatever. I'm okay with whatever. I'm okay yeah. with this. I'm okay with the way it is now. But I'm also okay if they decide to change it as mentioned in the question so next question is one that's quite fun quite fun and interesting formula one and hard rock stadium have reached an agreement for the nfl stadium to host a custom built track in 2021 the joint press release from f1 and hard rock stadium said with the estimated annual impact of more than 400 million dollars and 35,000 room nights the formula one miami grand prix will be an economic juggernaut for south florida each and every year do you upshift or downshift on the agreement being reached josh
1: Yeah, I upshift. I think it'd be great. Um, You know, the United States is a great market to be in. Uh, It's a great town to be in for for Miami. There's all tons of people there. It's always a vacation town. Um, You know, now it's, I think the vote is this week. I think the vote for the council, the the county council is this week to approve it. Um, You know, to me, I think when you talk about the money side, I, I think the money should talk more than the people complaining. I don't think there's enough people complaining to say this. And let me just say this for people who are in these neighborhoods, you put up with a Super Bowl, and it's pretty rowdy and loud for about a week too. So, uh, and and this is going to happen, you know, there'll be a year contract where, you know, it might be three, four or five years that this race is going to be in every single year. And that's money, you know, you don't have the Super Bowl every year, so it's good money to bring in. Yeah, do it. I like the idea. I like the circuit. Um, I think it's going it, to, it's a neat backdrop. So, yeah, I upshift. Good, good choice. I like this choice circuit better than their original plan. Uh, last, about a year ago, uh, when they unveiled that race, racetrack, maybe a little longer, but I like this one better. So I upshift.
0: Yeah, I like it too. Um, I have really <laughs> no issues with this whatsoever. I think it's great that F1 wants to be more in, Uh, more in america do i wish that they would invest more in permanent circuits like circuit of the americas absolutely i would absolutely prefer that to be the primary desire of formula one but you know i know that street circuits are so popular now like indycar can make those things sell out formula e can make those things sell out like people who won't go to a roll an oval race or a a race on a road course for some reason will have no problems going to a street course I don't know why. Well, it's it's
1: also easier to build one, you know, and bring it closer to people. I think that's a big argument, Yeah, but you shut
0: down, like, busy roads and streets and parking lots and stuff like that. It's just frustrating. I don't know. But, you know, I like the way this looks. Also, I'm a big fan of the way Hard Rock Stadium looks, like, like, after they did the renovations. Yeah. Uh, I think the stadium looks beautiful. So I think, personally, it'll look really, really pretty when it it does happen. I saw some of the renderings, and I think that's really, really interesting, and I like it. and that actually uh, brings us into another question. It's not an official upshift-downshift question, but we wanted to bring note because, uh, Josh, you mentioned Atlanta Motor Speedway was uh, looking at creating an entire, like, like town almost <laughs> amongst it. Can you uh, can yeah. talk a little bit more about that?
1: Yeah, so, like, okay, so upshift or downshift, Atlanta Motor Speedway has proposed a $1 billion resort uh, that would include a three-level Golf driving range, indoor, outdoor, water park, theme park, 10 theater, cinema, e-sports arena, nightclub, 10 restaurants, and an outlet mall with a Foxwoods casino. That's per Adam Stern. You can, uh, he and he links Fox 5 Atlanta uh, as a news article. So do you upshift or downshift this idea?
0: I mean, it's crazy. It's wild. I mean, it's probably a great race were a great way to keep that area uh uh vital because they only have one NASCAR race now and it happens in February which is ridiculous it's going to be in March next year it's still ridiculous to have it in March yeah. it should be in April at least um uh but you know and they should have at least an IndyCar race there or another NASCAR race that's my opinion but um Hashtag Atlanta roval. not really a roval i, I i'm just saying like a I mean, night I agree race the oval but yeah you yeah. know like a mean, i got night race agree. there <laughs> uh, and an indie car race for crying out loud put an indie car race there they need like a summer indie car race i mean I, I can't see that being a bad thing
1: yeah.
0: uh like a night summer indie car race give me something like that like in uh i like, like in, in late june or something you know yeah. give me something like that but anyway uh, i digress um you know i i think it'll be cool i think it'll be really neat and interesting to see uh i, I don't know if it's going to turn out the way that they wanted to but i always feel, i always felt like it was Atlanta's condo project or whatever, the hotels or something where that's uh, on the front stretch. I always thought that was really, really cool. Like, I always personally thought that was like one of the coolest things in the entire world. So I think this is probably a situation where Atlanta's just trying to be a really, really cool track. And this is just a way that, you know, that's gonna happen, especially when NASCAR keeps screwing them with dates and NASCAR keeps taking a date away and then and then moving their dates, and then one day it's a, a day race, and now it's a night race, and now it's in February, and now it's in March and just get some consistency going there get people to come around there for for more than just the race day i think that's that's real great so yeah,
1: yeah I, I, I i like it um i i mean uh i might have felt i failed them it wasn't this tweet i forgot about it but you know it is it's kind of it's kind of little you know the the contingent on whether georgia allows casinos or not right now they don't allow casinos but i like it it's a multi-purpose facility um, and I, I assume most of this would be run through Speedway Motorsports. Um, so you know, if you're able to bring people to your property for for more than just the race and that you know, you got a water park, you got things for family to do there. If you have hotels, you know, the family stays there, goes to the, you know, goes right. Ra- goes watching races on Saturday, goes to watch a movie on Saturday night, comes back, watches the race on Sunday. You got the water park, um that you get you know, and if Atlanta gets a better date later in the year, uh should they do that or you know what I mean? There's many things to do. Keeps this facility, multi-purpose facility, you know. That's what exactly what NFL stadiums, NBA arenas, MLB ballparks to an extent do. you have you're able to have multiple uh, things happen at that track. So I upshift the idea.
0: Right. That's what you have to do nowadays. You have to ha- have multiple races at a venue, and you have to have multiple events to happen. You can't just build a racetrack and have one race a year like you used to be able to. Yeah. and everybody would come and then it would sit empty for you know 363 more days of the year but That's nowadays right, yeah. you just can't have that anymore that it, no. it's not sustainable like it used to be so uh next question is an, a bit of an interesting question I actually like this I wanted to delete it because I thought it was stupid no <laughs> offense Josh I know you made these but I didn't uh, but I, actually I you'll be surprised by my
1: it, I think it'll be surprised by my- I
0: actually kind of like this so Kansas may have had an exciting final 20 but for most of the race, it was kind of lacking excitement. Okay, so that's what Josh again,
1: Josh wrote this. So um, I thought I thought the race was m- I mean, more I exciting race, than normal. But in general, in general, people thought it was I uh, maybe she worded that differently. I, I, people,
0: I disagree with what other people said. But anyway, yeah. um, should Kansas look to convert one of its two dates going forward to the Roval course it has, which by the way, and I want to know I w- I I asked this question the other day. I was like, have they used that course since 2014? Because it's really not a roval. Like Charlotte Roval is a roval where yeah. it's technical and it's tight and it's difficult. Kansas Roval is, is just a hairpin turn. It's a hairpin turn. They built a hairpin turn. Oh so you do for people who don't know is you go you you come off and, and instead of going into turn one normally, you go into this turn one on this flat banking, and then you make one slight turn to the right go straight there's a hairpin turn you turn around you go backwards the exact same route almost to a T, and then you come back and you race the whole rest of the oval so really there's you race the entire oval except for like turn one basically yeah it's not really even a roval it's not a roval so my my answer to that is a hard downshift josh what's your What's, but, but you know, I would like to see the, the, the road course used more, just not for NASCAR. I'd like to see them use that road course a little bit more because it's amusing to me that they actually tried to pass that off as a road course when it's not. I'm sorry. It's not. It's a hairpin turn. It's one, two, three turns. You can't build two turns in the infield it a road course.
1: Uh, yeah, I downshift too. I just want to see what you would say. I mean, no, I think I, if I, if, um, no, I downshift. I don't, I don't. I've expressed this before. Um, I'd rather see Kansas sorry, Kansas, but I'd rather see them lose a date and it go to Road America. If we're gonna have I don't I don't I don't think in, in, in Kansas, no, I just don't No, downshift. It's, it's not a of course you could have modifications. They could do modifications if they wanted to go that route, spend money, fix it up, make it a little more challenging, add a chicane on the back stretch. I don't know. They could you could always make changes, but even if they were to, I would I would be against it. So now I downshift.
0: All right, that's probably the best way route to go. Uh, last upshift downshift question before I move on into the track of the day. Christian Eckes is the most likely candidate to take over the number eighteen Kyle Bush Motorsports seat in the NASCAR Gander Outdoors Truck Series in twenty twenty after winning the twenty nineteen Arkanmanard Series Championship. Do you upshift or downshift? I'll tell you one hundred percent. I upshift because Christian Eckes. Who else is it going to go to? Let's be honest. Who else is it going to go to? Josh, who do you think?
1: Yeah, I don't know who else it would be who's old enough to run a full truck schedule. Let's put it that way. Um, you can make the argument for Michael Self, um, I suppose. But I think Eckes is maybe the most equity behind him with his age. So, well, yeah, maybe I think Toyota
0: would want Haley Deegan in there. Maybe. I don't
1: I don't think Deegan wants to be in there. I think Deegan is doing it right. She's taking baby steps upward to mm-hmm. to um, to be as competitive and be as well as she can. I don't think she's going to be in cup by 21. I think she'll be in cup by 25. I don't think she'll be, I don't think, no, she's taking it. She's doing it the right way and not rushing it. She wants to master the level that she's at before she moves on. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised if she's in a truck next year in a few, few races for either DGR or Kyle Busch. But uh, no, I, I think, I think Christian Neckis is definitely, so I upshift. He is the most likely candidate to be in that 18 truck next year. Um, whoever will be his teammate, though, is another story. We don't know that yet.
0: Hey, man, as long as it's not Natalie Decker. All right, let's move on into the track today because that's my favorite. That's my favorite. Josh, you compiled this. I love – this is a fun racetrack. This is a unique racetrack, track. little racetrack we can look at the history about uh, because it was, it was unique to its area. It was a unique racetrack in general. It was unique to its time and its era, and it's very sad to see that it's gone away, but – Josh, why don't you tell us a little bit about our featured racetrack of today?
1: Yeah, so this one, you know, it started as a dirt track, and it was later paved. It may not make the most, uh, the top 25 most popular or best known speedways in the world, but it is undoubtedly one of the most unique. Today, we go to New Jersey into Flemington Speedway. Um, definitely one of my favorites. Uh, so prior to the creation of Flemington Speedway, it was a horse racing track on a half mile on the, uh, site and it dated back to 1856 motorcycles first raced in 1911 before cars took the speedway in 1915 ira vale when the first auto race uh, at the track and grandstands and as far as i understand it the grandstands that were built in 1917 were the ones that were there for ni- nearly 90 years so that should tell you something um uh, about one the construction methods but also two as you'll figure out maybe the financial situation later um racing uh, became a highlight at the Flemington fair. And once lights were installed in 1955, weekly racing arrived at the track. Um, and it stayed there really throughout it's the remainder of its life. Um, it was a square and it was, you know, it, it was a square shape and it was like that r- from the time the track was built in 1915. Um, it was a square and it was increased to, uh, eighths of a mile and banking was added in the four Turner, uh, tor- uh Corners in 1967, as well as it was widened a little bit, too, uh, as you can look at uh, satellite imagery. You can tell that Um, following the 1990 season, dirt was paved over. Prior to that, they had dirt modified and even winged and sprint cars raced there. Um, But that era was over once the pave uh, the paving job was done. Um, speeds increased as a result, and some serious accidents really took place and injured several drivers. And I saw one where including, uh, Ray Everham was even injured there. The, uh, NASCAR owner, Jeff Gordon, three-time crew chief, a championship crew chief, Ray Everham. Uh, so they improvised with a really unique solution. Large foam blocks were added to the corners to help soften the blow because even though it was a square, it really acted like just one big circle. One big circle. That's how these guys would race it. Uh, most most cars would race it. If you watch a truck race, that's how they race it. Um, so a uh, number of these stock car events took place once the paving was done. The Canaan Pro Series East visited there for the uh, first and only time in 1991. The Revere Travel 200 was won by Ricky Craven. Two other top level NASCAR drivers were in that race. Jimmy Spencer finished 18th at their starting 18th and crashing. Uh, Ken Schrader started second, but finished 21st with rear end issues. Current spotter for Kyle Busch, Tony Hirschman, was also in the race. He started 17th, but finished 16th after crashing. Uh, the NASCAR and modified tour traveled to Flemington a number of times, first from 1991 to 1992, and then from 1996 to 1998, twice in 1997. Mike Stefanik, who we just lost a few weeks ago, uh, won both modified races at Flemington in 1997. Arca traveled to Flemington once in 1999. The great Frank Kimmel won the Summit Banks 150. Bobby Gerhardt was second. Bill Baird, driving for Ken Schrader, finished third. Um, in stock car terms, it was probably best known for the Gander Outdoors Truck Series, which made uh, a few four trips to the square, as it was known. Flemington was on the inaugural Truck Series schedule in 1995. It's race number 14. DEI's Ron Hornaday Jr. won, uh, driving the number 16 Papa John's Pizza Chevrolet CK. Uh, The race had 25 trucks and was extended for what was overtime back in the day from 150 to 151 laps. Rick Carelli finished second. The eventual champion, Mike Skinner, finished third. Jack Sparrow driving the forgotten number 25 Budweiser Chevrolet truck. uh, And Dennis, uh, that was for Hendrick Motorsports. Bill Cedric finished fifth. The only Dodge in that race was driven by Dennis Setzer. He finished 21st after crashing. Uh, they went there three more times, as mentioned, in 1996, 1997, and 1998. Uh, each of those races saw 30 trucks in the race. Uh, Chevrolet would be perfect at Flemington. Mike Skinner won in 1996 driving the number three GM Goodridge truck for RCR. Hornaday returned to victory lane again for DEI, this time driving the number 16 Napa Brakes machine in 1997. And in 1998, Terry Cook won in the number 88 PBA Tour Chevrolet for Duke Thorson. This was for Steel Master Racing, but it was the first win for what is today Thor Sport Racing. So the first win for Thor sport Racing came back at Flemington with Terry Cook in 1998. Um, the date was basically lost because it was begin that was around the time the truck series quickly uh, the image of the truck series quickly became to change. They went going to bigger tracks, Auto club Las Vegas, et cetera um, in Flemington just wasn't the facility the uh, NASCAR truck series was to go to. Um, sadly, following his paving, the track lost money, continuing to lose money. Um, and the track closed in November, 2002, as they were losing money, it, you know, the track needed upgrades and it never got it. So it looked really run down, really bad. Um, it was eventually sold to developers and demolished in January, 2005. Um, so very sad is, you know, getting a unique track. I like unique tracks. We've lost a lot of unique tracks. Um, in 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 America at at the least to say the least um in in Flemington is right up there in my books with uh you know Ontario Nazareth uh Marchbanks Walt Disney World as we just you know track we've just scu- a couple of those tracks we discussed already uh this year um so the land once it was redeveloped is now home to Raritan uh Town Square which includes Walmart, PetSmart, Lowe's, Buffalo Wild Wings, Dockside Market in grill and many other businesses which were built between 2007 and 2008 so there's my Flemington featured racetrack for you today uh one of my favorites I wish we still had it around
0: yeah no absolutely it's a very unique racetrack it's very interesting to watch some of the races there uh, a little bit fun uh, actually I believe that It was included in uh, NASCAR racing three with the expansion pack that had uh, the truck series in it too. So you were able to race that and it, someone converted it over to NR 2003, which is how I've raced it. Uh, And it, I mean, in in a simulation and it's very, very interesting. It's very fun uh, racetrack to, to to drive, but you know, a very, very sad demise for, um, for a a once beautiful speedway that was so unique, so challenging, so interesting. Um, You know, just, overall a sad situation. Always sad to talk about these featured racetracks that, you know, are not, that they're obviously not here anymore. It's kind of, it's kind of on a somber note, but it's fun to look back at some of the history that racing has built in the United States and in, throughout the world as well. Not yeah. just the United States, but again, throughout the world, because we've talked about a lot of racetracks that, you know, have been all over the place, like in, in Brazil and Canada and England and places like that. Um, you know, it's, it's just really fun to listen and and, and thank you so much for for the for sharing that josh i appreciate it's my favorite part of the week i enjoy doing part of the show not just because i learn stuff but not just because i don't have to do anything (laughs) but also because i learn stuff too so let's take a look here uh that that's gonna we're we're about ready to finish up about ready to wrap things up here uh let's go ahead and take a look at what's in the windshield this weekend is a final off weekend for the of the season for the nascar xfinity series they returned in two weeks at texas uh the formula one world championship finally we get to watch a Formula 1 race at a decent hour, uh, they will head to uh, the Autodromo Hermanos Rodríguez in Mexico City for the fifth time since returning in 2015 and 20th time overall. Uh, Valtteri Bottas will need to keep within 77 points to keep his championship hopes alive, but let's be honest, we all know Lewis Hamilton is already the champion and nothing's really going to change that. The race is on Sunday afternoon. For those who want to flip it back and forth between the Cup Series and Formula 1, you can, which is... That's something I'm going to be doing. Uh, yeah, <laughs> The NASCAR yeah. Gander Outdoors Truck Series is at Martinsville Speedway for the NASCAR Hall of Fame 200 on Sunday. Saturday. It is this Saturday, sorry, excuse me. It is the second race in the round of six for the trucks. GMS Racing has won two of the past three races, which bodes well for Brett Moffitt, Stuart Friesen, and Ross Chastain. Um, uh, the round of eight for the Monster Energy NASCAR Cup Series begins on Sunday for the first day to 500 at Martinsville. It is the first opportunity for the eight drivers remaining in the playoffs to punch their ticket to the Homestead Miami race for the championship. In the past few years, this race has yielded amazing moments, such as Jeff Gordon winning his 93rd win, uh, Denny Hamlin punting Chase Elliott in 2017, and last year's bump and run, Martin Truex Jr., the beating and banging side-by-side, coming to the line. Who's going to win? Great. I love it. I love it. I'm excited for it. Great weekend of racing coming up this weekend. Also, Super Formula races this weekend, too. We mentioned that a little bit earlier in the show. So if you're a big fan of uh, F1 Feeder Series like I am, hey, you got a little bonus race, too, uh, happening this weekend. So, hey, thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed today's podcast, remember you can find Josh at Roller underscore 01 on Twitter and myself at RPeters33 on Twitter. And if you really, really, really like the show and are are hoping to find out when we're going to record our next one, It's going to be next week on Thursday. I'm going to give you a little spoiler on that because it's every week on Thursday. Um, You can follow the show at Robin Roller, spelled just like it sounds. Uh, And don't forget, you can join the conversation, too, using the hashtag AskRobinRoller. Uh, You can join in our questions anytime, any of our discussions. Go ahead and tweet us uh, and use the uh, hashtag there, AskRobinRoller, and we'll... Definitely include your questions on a future show or even just reply to it and you can interact with us and we can all say that we're friends. You can put that on your resume. Friends with two guys do a podcast only listened to by their moms. All right. Um, (laughs) Thank you so much again for listening. We'll be right back next week. So until then, uh, you know, enjoy your your week. Enjoy your race weekends. And um, we will see you next week. So thank you so much and uh, have a good night. Bye.